morning we are looking at Matthew chapter 1 in the Advent story, the story of Jesus coming. And as you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, we are looking at the different central people in the story, the first Christmas story. We've looked at Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple. The angel Gabriel came to him, and he, he had a swing and a miss, as we talked about. He didn't believe. He wasn't sure he needed another sign. We looked at Mary. That same angel Gabriel arrived to her and kind of knocked her socks off, so to speak. And yet, even this teenage girl was still willing to be humble and to accept the promises and the sign of God. And now we are turning our focus to arguably next to Mary, the second most important person in the first Christmas story as they prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. And that would be her fiance, Joseph. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 this morning. Here now, the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were here a couple Sundays ago when we talked about Zechariah, you may remember that the opening illustration, the story I used was teaching little kids how to throw or catch a ball that's thrown to them and then swing a bat at a ball. The reason I did that is because I have a passion. I mentioned it then. I have a passion and love for baseball and softball. And I know a few of you have mentioned to me like, oh, I remember watching you out on the basketball court. And that's never a great feeling of mine when somebody says that to me because it's like, are you sure you remember? Because most of the time I wasn't out there. But anyway, <laughs> so this morning, I think just as a confidence booster for myself, I want to tell a story about baseball. I know not as much of a spectator sport, not as many people go out for it. Most of you maybe didn't know that I played, but I want to tell you one of the highlights of my high school baseball experience. So my senior year, District Championship Baseball. Scores tied 2-2 two to two in the last inning. The reason that we had two runs, the only two runs of the game, was because I had hit two home runs that game. Nobody else had scored yet. So we're in the last inning. 
Their pitcher is good, striking out most of our guys. And my coach looks at me and he says, man, you're the only one with a hot bat tonight. If we're going to win, it's got to be you. So I step up to the plate. He puts a fastball high outside, and I drill it to right field. And I think, there's number three, but it hits the top of the fence. And I go, well, I'm not the fastest guy on the planet, but here I go. So I take off, and I I figure I can at least stretch a triple out of it. But as I'm rounding second and going toward third, I see the, the third baseman getting ready for the ball, and I think, oh, shoot, I pressed my luck a little too far. But as luck would have it, the ball went just a little bit over his head, over his glove, and to the fence by the dugout. And my coach is screaming at me, just go for it. So I round third base, I'm headed to home, and the ball beats me again. But this time, the catcher does catch it. And he's standing there waiting for me. And I know there's basically only one thing I have to do. So as he goes to tag me, I jump up in the air as he's diving down. I go over top of him and land on the plate before he can stretch out and hit me. People go crazy. My teammates come out of the dugout, rush, tackle me to the ground. One of my good friends on the team is standing over me, shaking my shoulders, going, don't stop believing. And I go, well, that's a little weird, but okay. And I look out to the stands and I see my parents and everybody else going, Jim, 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 you're going to be late for school. And I realized that my teammate was my alarm clock. And the crowd was my mom as I snapped back to reality and realized, okay, maybe none of this happened at all. So the real reason, first of all, that I told you a baseball story and not a basketball story is because I knew that a bunch of you, if I started saying I was the hero of a game, would have been like, that doesn't sound right. So I could at least pull your leg for a little while. (laughs) But honestly, it does feel like that happened to me. It didn't really. I had some decent games, nothing like that. But I did have a dream like that. And it felt so real, I could have swore it happened. Have you ever had one like that? Where you're in the shower that morning, and you're eating breakfast, and the whole time you're like, wow. If I hadn't just woken up from that, if somebody would have told me that really happened, I'd believe them, because it was like I was right there. And for the first few hours of the day, you're walking in this haze between the dream world and the real world. And you just can't quite shake it. But in that case, being the savior of the baseball team, I knew it wasn't real at the end of the day, even though it felt like it, standing in the shower that morning, eating my breakfast that morning. At the end of the day, I knew it was just wishful thinking on my part. I wanted to be the home run hero so badly that I had a vivid dream about it. But it was just my mind playing tricks on me. I wonder if that's how Joseph felt the morning after he woke up from his dream. It hadn't exactly been the easiest of days. For a while, Joseph felt like everything was finally coming together in his life. His carpentry business was finally taking off. He was pledged to be married to a beautiful young woman named Mary. And then came the news she was pregnant. And Joseph and Mary had never done anything more than hold hands or steal a kiss or two, so he knew the baby wasn't his. 
And when he confronted her about it, through tears, Mary said something about an angel and the Holy Spirit and the Most High and the Son of God, but Joseph wasn't born yesterday. He wasn't buying it. And in the argument that ensued, Mary even said, just go talk to my cousin, Elizabeth. She was overcome with the Spirit when she saw me, and she prophesied about it. To which Joseph replied, oh, great. So now, not only am I supposed to believe this story about you being a pregnant virgin, but you're telling me that I'm the problem. If I was just more spiritual, like your cousin Elizabeth, I would get it. Sure, make me the bad guy here. Well, I'm not the one who ruined everything and decided to make up a crazy story to cover my tracks. At least put two seconds of thought into your alibi next time. And with that, Joseph stormed out of the house and slammed the door behind him. That night he laid in bed, stared at the ceiling. 1 a.m. became 2 a.m. and 3 Still no sleep came. What was he going to do? He was so angry at Mary, he could breathe fire. But he knew deep down the real reason he felt that angry was because he still cared for her. He still loved her. He felt like some things just can't be forgiven. He wasn't just going to pretend the child was his. But in those days, an engagement was as much of a covenant and a contract as marriage is today. The only ways you got out of it was death or divorce. And he also knew that if word got out why he divorced Mary, the town might stone her for adultery. She's pregnant and the baby's not mine. So because he still loved her, because he had a good heart, Joseph knew the only way to move on without getting Mary possibly killed was to divorce her quietly. So that's what he decided to do. And with his mind finally made up, and the sun starting to come up, he turned over on his other side and finally drifted off for a little bit of sleep. And then almost just as suddenly he snapped awake. It felt like he was only asleep a minute or two, but a lot happened in that minute. He sat up, he shielded his eyes from the sun that was now fully glaring through his bedroom window his eyes darting around the room, checking to see if the angel from his dream was still there in the light of day. But he was alone. Then he thinks to himself, wait a minute, what just happened? Did I, I just had a dream, I think. Was that a dream? It felt so real. I mean, the angel was right there saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit? Holy cow, what, wait, what else did he say again? Ah, it's coming back now. Something, she'll give birth to a son. I'm supposed to name him Jesus because of something. Um, because he's going to save everyone from their sins? What does that even mean? What just happened to me? Suddenly Joseph realizes he is very late for work. So he throws on some clothes, scrambles out the door to his workshop where impatient customers are waiting. 
But that whole day, he just couldn't shake the feeling that that dream he had was more than a dream. Sometimes I wonder if that's how it happened. I don't know. Was the dream that Joseph had an undeniable experience that was just as powerful as if an angel would have appeared in his room while he was awake? Or was it a strange dream that he just couldn't shake? Something that felt so real but still left that hint of doubt in his mind that it might all be wishful thinking. I mean, after all, the angel from the dream pretty much said most of what Mary just got done explaining to him. So maybe, maybe Joseph just thought, well, that's my mind playing tricks on me, spitting back the random events of the day in vivid dream fashion. We've all probably had that one time or another. It happens to us today. It probably happened to people back then too. And I know that God often communicated through people in biblical times to people through dreams. That happened a lot. And I've heard stories from friends, fellow Christians today that makes me convinced that God can and does still do that. But I have to imagine that people in biblical times had non-vision dreams too. So my question is this. How easy was it to distinguish between a normal dream and a my pregnant fiancé is about to have the Son of God dream. Was Joseph 100% certain when he woke up whether the angel in his dream was a real angel or just a story that his mind made up because he was so stressed? Was it obvious which was which? Personally, I wouldn't blame Joseph for at least having a shred of doubt that it was a stress-induced dream, nothing more. I mean, think about it. Two weeks ago, Zechariah, who is a priest, the, studying the word of God is his job. And an angel shows up to him while he's awake and he doubts. So I have to believe that if it's possible for a priest to doubt the message of an angel while he's awake, that it's more possible for a carpenter to doubt the message of an angel who's gone the instant he wakes up. If Joseph was a normal human being, which we know he was, then I have to believe he didn't just spring out of bed in the morning and skip over to Mary's house and say, hey, I had a dream, totally believe you now, everything's fine. I wonder, I think, he may have wrestled with the news, maybe even more than Zachariah did. But with as tired and stressed as Joseph had to be, it's possible he felt like he didn't know what was real anymore. Maybe he should ask for a better sign, another confirmation, like Zechariah did. And honestly, I don't, one of the things I don't understand about this passage is why an angel came to Joseph in a dream instead of during the day. Most of the other people surrounding the Christmas story get a daytime angel. Zechariah gets an angel. Mary gets an angel. It's like Oprah Winfrey. You get an angel. You get an angel. Even nameless shepherds, we don't even know their names. They were just out in the field watching their flocks. They get a choir of angels in front of them. 
And Joseph, arguably the most important person in the Christmas story next to Mary, just gets one in his dreams. And I don't know why. I don't know why God decided to give Joseph a dream angel while everyone else was getting real in-your-face angel messages. I trust there's good reason that it had to happen that way. And I don't know for sure if Joseph wrestled with whether or not his dream was trustworthy or just a figment of his imagination. But even though we don't get to know this morning what was going on inside his head, we do get to know how he responds to it. Verse 24 tells us very simply, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary home as his wife. Through the grogginess of a near sleepless night, through the possible doubts that tried to tell him that you, all, you just made it up in your own head, Joseph chose to believe the angel. In spite of it all, Joseph gave his God the benefit of the doubt. Joseph gave God the benefit of the doubt. In spite of hearing a story that barely seemed possible, much less believable, from a dream angel, Joseph believed. And because Joseph believed, because he gave God the benefit of the doubt, he got to be one of the central characters in the story that we celebrate every year this time of year. Every Christmas, people read about this, his story, millions of people. And little boys put on modified bed sheets and wrap some cloth around their head and pretend to be him for the church's Christmas program. Joseph got the lifelong and beyond honor of being the one to be the human earthly father of the one who would save him from his sins and all of us as well. He got to teach the savior of the world how to hammer a nail. Got to call the Lord of the universe his little boy. Can you get any more distinguished than that? What is it like, just imagine for a second, what is it like for Joseph to be in glory right now? Falling before King Jesus on his throne, all while those memories of laughing with Mary while trying to get him to eat his mashed baby carrots come flooding back into his mind. Is there any greater role that he could have played in the salvation of the whole world? I mean, I may get hung up, on questions like, why didn't he get a real angel? Why did it have to be a dream? But I don't think Joseph is getting caught up on that anymore. I don't think that's a hang-up for him. Because he got to play one of the greatest roles in God's story that any man ever has. And now I want to ask you if you've ever felt like you had a moment in your life, kind of like Joseph. Now, as we zoom in on the different characters in the Christmas story, first we looked at Zachariah, and poor old Zach should have been ready, and he wasn't, swinging a miss. Then we looked at Mary, this young teenage girl 
who gets a message that she's going to play a part in God's salvation of the world that no one would think they could bear. But she was willing. She wasn't ready. No way she could have been, but she was willing. And now we look at Joseph, and it may seem like more of the same. But with Joseph, with Zechariah, with Mary, both of the messages were clear. It was just whether or not they were willing to accept them, able to accept them by faith. With Joseph, the message wasn't even clear. There was just enough there to doubt whether or not it was real at all, worth it at all. It just left the door open a crack to saying, whatever, my mind's playing tricks on me. This isn't worth it. I'm going to go through all of this and then find out at the end, actually, that whole story was made up and the baby is someone else's and I'm leaving you for him. I'm going to go through all of this and that could still be a possibility down the road? No thanks. The door of doubt was left open just enough that he had to choose to reach out and close it and say, no, I'm not going to give in to those doubts. I'm not going to give in to the thoughts of just a stress-induced dream. It's probably not real. I'm going to believe. I'm going to take a step forward in faith in the midst of this crazy fog of life. And as I thought about Joseph and our brief time together, by the way, it's been such an honor to be in this opportunity, to have this opportunity and be here with you for the last few weeks. And as I looked at Joseph's life and I looked back on what we've talked about the past few weeks, I realized that none of it matters if we don't take a step of faith like Joseph. The first week I was here, a few weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, and how hard it can be, but how worth it it is in Christ. The week after that, we talked about how important it is to encourage each other, because so many of us get down. So many of our brothers and sisters need to be lifted up. We all do. So we should be the ones doing it too. And we talked about Zechariah, Mary, having faith when the going gets tough. But none of that matters if we leave the door open to doubt, just a crack. Just enough to say, okay, great message on forgiveness. But now I wake up on Monday from the dream, the nice dream of Sunday and how flowery everything sounded. Just forgive everyone and it'll be great. Yeah, right. Now reality's setting in back to the grind and what so I'm going to put in all this work of trying to forgive this family member this friend who hurt me and a year from now they might do it again oh that was worth it oh so I'm supposed to encourage people in Christ yep is that even going to do anything so God tells me that I have to do this hard thing like Mary that hey you have a I have a message to give you, and you're not going to be prepared for it, but just please receive it and walk by faith. What if I got it wrong? What if I try that hard road, and I end up somewhere that's worse off than everybody else around me who just live for themselves, just wanted a bigger paycheck, a nicer car, a bigger house? What if I look back 20 years from now, and I tried to sacrifice so much, and I'm less happy than they are? And then I think, shoot, I missed an opportunity to think more of me. 
None of those messages matter if we leave that door of doubt open just a crack and think maybe all this stuff, maybe the reason we light these candles, maybe the story of God coming down, I don't know. It just kind of feels like a dream. I mentioned before Joseph now in the heavenly glory you're like, I remember raising you, and then you died for me and rose to life. Now I get to worship you, and we have this awesome relationship. All those memories. That can also be the same for us. As we fall on our knees before the one who gave us life eternally, with our minds thinking back to, man, I remember that moment in my life when I had a choice to make. I wasn't even really sure if it would make a difference to forgive that person, to step out in faith in that way. But I did it anyway, and you know, it was harder than I thought, and some of it didn't work out like I wanted it to. But man, standing here before the throne room of God, worshiping my Savior, I'm so glad I did it. I'm still so glad that I made one more sacrifice, one more step of faith for my Savior who did everything for me. We have to believe enough in that day to reach out our hand and slam the door shut. Slam the door of doubt shut and say, no, I know that life has left it open a crack, but I'm going to make the choice to say, not today. I'm going to take one more step. I'm going to believe the dreams that God has put into my head, the vision that I can see that seems like it disappears when I wake up in the morning. I'm still going to believe it. Because doing that not only makes the last few messages worthwhile, it makes life in Christ worthwhile. But don't take my word for it. Take the word of Joseph, the one who got to raise the Son of God and is now worshiping him like us forever. Thanks be to God and amen. Father, I don't know what callings you have placed on every single person here this morning. And I also don't know what doubts and questions have left that door open a crack, the door of saying, I'm just going to walk through this and forget I ever even had that dream or felt like God was calling. But I'm guessing that all of those callings are there and those doubts are there too because we're all human. So give us the strength of Joseph. The strength of being one to take one more step. To have the strength to be the one to reach out and close the door of doubt ourselves. Not giving at the time of day. Because we know, we know, we know it will be worth it in the end. And we also know we can't do this on our own strength. So Holy Spirit, please fill us, strengthen us, remind us of how beautiful the Christmas story is, the one who came 
to be Emmanuel, the one who came to save us. Let that be enough, Lord. Help us see that that's enough to take one more step of faith in you. We pray this all in the name of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.